If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's Gospel. We remain in chapter 10 this week, but we are making progress, uh, moving to the end. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we have just sung, we have fixed our eyes on Jesus. Father, would you now, through your word, enable us to see Jesus all the more clearly, to hear his call in our lives and to respond. Father, we ask that you would open now your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word that we would know not only what we are to believe about you, but also the duty to which you call your people. Father, may your word here before us be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to start this morning by hearing a few more words from the author of the Something to Think About quote this week. Indeed, a native of Kentucky grew up in Paducah, Kentucky. And here are the lyrics from the song with the same title as the name of the CD, For the Sake of the Call. Nobody stood and applauded them, so they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame. All they really knew for sure was Jesus had called to them. He said, come follow me, and they came. With reckless abandon, they came. Empty nets lying there at the water's edge told a story that few could believe and none could explain. How some crazy fishermen agreed to go where Jesus led with no thought to what they would gain. For Jesus had called them by name and they answered, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call, wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Drawn like the rivers are drawn to the sea. No turning back, for the water cannot help but flow. Once we hear the Savior's call, we'll follow wherever He leads. Because of the love He has shown and because He has called us to go, we will answer. We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Now, unlike the Bible, his words are not inerrant and infallible. And so I'm going to take issue with one of his statements. The statement that said this, with no thought to what they would gain. Well, maybe with the initial call, They gave no thought. But since the call of Jesus is ongoing, in today's text we will see that Jesus indeed will give them thoughts as to what they would gain 
And Jesus, through his word and by his spirit, will give us thoughts as to what we will gain as well. Well, here we are at episode number 40 in our series, Jesus According to the Bible, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark. Today, as always, there is widespread ignorance and confusion as to the identity of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons Mark is writing this shortest catechism, answering the questions, who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? We've already seen the turning point in Mark chapter 8, which was a confession of faith. You are the Christ. But we've also heard the call of discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A confession of faith immediately followed by the call of discipleship. Indeed, here's a great instance of what we are to believe, the confession of faith, and what we are to do, the call of discipleship. Well, let's do a quick review of Mark chapter 10. Our first 12 verses considered marriage and divorce, and we saw there the danger of a hard heart. And then in verses 13 through 16, we saw the little children and Jesus, the blessing of a humble heart. Last week, we saw the rich young ruler and Jesus in verses 17 through 27, the need for a powerful work of God. Listen again to these last two verses of what we considered last week. And they, that being the disciples, reading now from verse 26, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, that is to Jesus, who, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Indeed, last week what we saw was mission impossible for man. And yet, when the disciples ask that question, who then can be saved? They're starting to get it. Jesus is driving them to acknowledge that salvation, as Jonah said, is of the Lord. Who is Jesus? Well, today we will see Jesus is someone who both makes promises and issues warnings. Join with me now as I read Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions 
and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The outline didn't make it into the printing of the bulletin, but it's pretty simple. A declaration, verse 28, a promise, verses 29 and 30, and then finally a warning, verse 31. Well, first, with Peter as the spokesman for the entire group, the disciples make a declaration. Now, is this declaration that we just heard read, is it a statement or a question? In Mark's account, we read this, see, we have left everything and followed you. But in Matthew's account of this same incident, he adds this, what then will we have? In leaving this question off, I believe Mark really wants us to see it's a statement. See, we have left everything and followed you. Well, could it be arrogant on the part of Peter? Well, maybe, as if Peter is taking this time uh, to, to distinguish the disciples. Like, unlike that rich young man, huh, Jesus, we, we've left everything to follow you. Well, maybe it's not arrogant after all. Maybe it's actually humble. Well, for our purposes, let's just take it at face value. Because it's a setup for a word from Jesus, a word of encouragement. I mean, Jesus, remember, just in chapter 8, had talked about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. That kind of journey is going to need a word or two of encouragement along the way. Because this call is a call to a hard and long journey where you over and over and over again deny yourself. Over and over and over again take up your cross and continue to make decisions that indicate that you are following Jesus. Peter's comment here leads Jesus to present encouragement in the form of a glorious promise as well as a solemn warning. I believe Jesus knows their thinking. He knows that they're thinking, but not necessarily saying this, Jesus, we have lost all this. And so what are we going to gain? He makes a promise. We see beginning in verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, boys and girls, whenever you see the word truly, and it comes as something Jesus has said, it's almost the Bible's way of underlining it, putting it in bold print, getting the yellow highlighter out. Truly I say to you. Jesus makes a promise. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution 
and in the age to come, eternal life. Here we hear a call, a call to leave and a call to follow. A call in some ways could be seen as to repent, to turn from, and to believe, to turn to. This is a comprehensive call that Jesus issues, and it results in a comprehensive loss. You heard the list, right? House, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands. Just earlier in chapter 8, verse 35, we read this. Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Over in Luke chapter 14, there's some language that's pretty shocking where we read, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, who does not hate his own father and mother, how can he cannot be my disciple? Is this over-the-top language? Hating? Losing everything? Jesus is grabbing our attention. He's wanting to make a point. The call is comprehensive. There's going to be comprehensive loss. And notice, you heard it read a couple of times, that it's it's a call to leave for something. For Jesus and the gospel. For my sake and the gospel. Here we see the inseparable nature of the man, Jesus, and the message of the gospel. Since Jesus first spoke these words, people have tried to separate the man from the message. Oh, I like Jesus, but I don't really agree with what he has to say. My friends, here again, Jesus brings together what cannot be separated. For my sake and the sake of the gospel. Did you hear in what was read two time frames? Two time references. Time number one is the here and now, the already. And then there will be a time number two, the there and then, the not yet. Let's look at a moment for the here and now, the already. Jesus says for those who lose all of these things, here's what they gain. Houses and brothers and children and mothers, excuse me, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, hundredfold. My friends, there are few wider promises than this in the Word of God. And there is none certainly in the New Testament that holds out such encouragement for this life now. If you're like me and at times fearful, if you're like me at times faint-hearted and ready to give up and ready to listen to yourself, ask the question, is it worth it? This is a promise that you need to fix your eyes upon. And more important than the promise, the promise maker, the promise 
keeper. Well, what are folks promised that they will receive? Where is this promise fulfilled? Did you, we've got to read it again. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Where is this promise fulfilled? I mean, what a great investment. Sell an acre of land and get a hundred acres. Um, drop off uh, one child and get a hundred. Exchange the parent that you really didn't want that you got for a hundred great ones. Where is this promise fulfilled now? Look around. Look around. It's here. It's in the church. Those who leave everything to follow Jesus get a new family. They get a new home. The promise is fulfilled in the church. The church is the Christian's new family. It's his or her new home. My friends, a neglected chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith speaks of the communion of saints, where we share in one another's gifts and graces, because here are new friends, new traveling companions, that despite the sin that we just confessed earlier, you will find over the long haul more loving, more faithful, more valuable than any you left behind. Did you notice what was missing in the list? For those of you that um, like to find mistakes in people's writing, what would you find here? What was not promised that you would get that you gave up? Does anybody see it? Well, wives, yes. But... <laughs> Father. Notice, there's no mention of receiving back a father. Why? Jesus, teach us how to pray, and when you pray, say, Our Father. If you've seen me, he tells his followers, you've seen the Father. You get the Father. You get the Father. My friends, here is the rivalry of the century. Matt, the rivalry of all time. Inclusion in the family of God versus exclusion from the society of this world. You can't fully be in both places. Children, when you're on the dock and you're getting into the boat, at some point, both feet have to leave the dock, and both feet have to be in the boat. Otherwise, you're in the water. Here is being included in the family of God. But you notice I called it a rival. It's not, because when you're excluded from the society of the world, the sinful and fallen world that's a dog-eat-dog world, backstabbing, defrauding, dishonoring world. 
When you're excluded from that because you're following Jesus, you're included in the family of God. Now, this sounds really great, doesn't it? I mean, prosperity gospel proof text, right? You invest this and you get a hundredfold. Well, did you all notice the word that Jesus did not fail to include? You're going to get all of this. And not only this, you're going to get, you're going to get it with persecutions. With persecutions. You're going to get the blessing of the church. You're also going to get the persecution from the world. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Jesus is, in a way, telling his disciples not to lose heart. And that's directly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. My friends, Paul just took the hundredfold of Jesus and increased it to beyond our comprehension. Weeping, the psalmist writes, may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Because Paul is also talking about not this the here and now, but the there and then, the eternal. And so this other time period that Jesus is speaking about is in the age to come, eternal life. What are those that hear the call and follow Jesus going to receive? eternal life, everlasting reward. And that eternal life that to be sure begins now when we come to know Jesus, it finds its fullest expression in the coming day where we read in Revelation 21.4 that at that day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Jesus is talking about the blessings here and now and the blessings there and then forever. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century English Anglican bishop, said this, and I find it a helpful summary of both of these time periods, in this time and in the age to come. He says this, quote, To all those who make sacrifices on account of the gospel, Jesus promises a hundredfold now in this time. They shall not only 
They shall have not only pardon and glory in the world to come, they shall have even here upon earth hopes and joys and sensible comforts sufficient to make up for all that they lose. They shall find in the communion of saints new friends, new relations, new companions, more loving, faithful, and valuable than any they had before their conversion. Their introduction into the family of God shall be an abundant recompense for exclusion from the society of this world. This may sound startling and incredible to many ears, but thousands have found by experience that it is true. Ask the Apostle Paul what he gave up and what he gained. Ask the young man, I believe his name was William Borden of Yale, who a millionaire at age 21, nonetheless left to go overseas and a missionary, and yet died on the way. What about Jim Elliott, who lost his life along with other missionaries um, in the 1950s in Ecuador, who wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot, uh, uh, cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot never lose. He was no fool. There are others to be sure. It's proven even in our own lives. Yes, the Christian life is difficult and hard. And if you haven't come to the point at times of giving up, it's around the corner. Walk by faith and not by sight in the company of one another. Look in the mirror. Do you not have lasting treasures and solid joys that the world will never know? Do you not count being reconciled with God something that is priceless? Jesus is talking later about a man who discovers treasure in a field and sells everything he has to buy that field. Loss and gain. You know, the fact that all of you are here on the Lord's Day gathering to worship, you guys have lost something. You've lost, um, uh, maybe people out there think you're a fool. Maybe you've lost um, time to, um, to get work done. But my friends, what you have gained in setting aside the Lord's day to worship with God's people and to rest from your labors far outweighs the cost that the world will impose on you. To be sure, Jesus provides a word of great encouragement in the form of a promise to those who would be his disciples. But being all wise, Jesus also issues a warning. And as we've seen in Mark, warnings are not curses, but rather blessings to all of those who hear the warning and heed the warning. Notice how it ends with a short and simple proverbial-like statement. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here's the radical difference between God's evaluation and judgment 
and man's evaluation and judgment. Here we see a direct statement of the great reversal that the gospel brings. In other words, Jesus is saying that the first in the world's judgment will be last in God's judgment. And the last in this world's judgment will be first in God's judgment. Where have we seen that recently? How about with children? The last in the world's judgment, Jesus is saying, are first in God's judgment. How about the rich ruler? The first in the world's judgment. Successful, wealthy, respectful to Jesus because he was unwilling to sell all that he had and follow Jesus, he went away sad. And what's even more shocking than that is Jesus didn't go running after him and say, there's a sale. The demands of the gospel are 50% off today. No, it was going to stay at wholesale and retail price. So there's the great reversal, but there's also things being turned upside down or rather more correctly and accurately, things being turned right side up. Have you guys ever gotten the, the box delivered by FedEx or UPS that's got the big arrow and it says this side up only to find it upside down on your porch? Jesus is not so much turning the world upside down as he is turning it right side up because Genesis 3 was when the world was turned upside down. The warning is the great reversal and a word about Jesus turning things right side up. Well, what we've been unpacking and exploring these past few minutes is a profit and loss statement. I'm not an accountant and I don't really like financial dealings, but I think most of us have heard of a profit and loss, loss statement. Well, what is the great loss for us? As we've seen in this chapter thus far, what do we lose? What do we abandon my friends, what we abandon is what is most difficult, and that is our faith in ourselves. Our faith that we can do something to win and to earn God's favor. What's the great loss? Ourselves. The trust we have in ourselves. And what is the great gain? What is the great gain that Scripture, both in Psalm 73 and in, if, and in Romans 8, point to? What does the Christian gain? Yes, the Christian gains a new family and a new home. And that is great and wonderful. The Christian gains God Himself. You want to know what somebody really believes and trusts in? Take away everything they have. Property, reputation, family. Look at Job. You want to know what somebody really trusts, who they depend on, who they worship? Take it away. 
But as we heard so gloriously read, thank you Stan, from Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Paul is echoing what Jesus is communicating to his followers in our passage. My friends, what Jesus wants his people to know is the power and the promise of the gospel. Don't forget Romans 1.16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel power, but also the gospel promise. Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary writes these words. It is one of the most stubborn facts of history that his promise has been fulfilled. Christ, as the great explorer David Livingstone once said, was a gentleman and has kept his word. My friends, what we are called to do today and every day is to listen to Jesus and to believe Jesus, to take him at his word. He is not only a gentleman who keeps his word. Jesus is our only Savior and our only Lord. And here in the church, we get a taste and a glimpse of the beauty and the blessings of this new family and this new home. But as each day goes by, we are one day closer to that great day ahead when all of this walking by faith is over and we're going to walk by sight. Brothers and sisters, encourage one another now as we walk side by side on this journey to our eternal, everlasting, unending, world without end, home in heaven. Take Jesus at his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus always knows what to say and when to say it. And we thank you, Father, that he knew that his followers needed a word of encouragement. And so, Father, may we, as followers of Jesus, hear that word and take it to heart. And may it find expression in how we live. But, oh, Father, may we also take this word of warning seriously. That we are to get our understanding not from the world around us, but from you, our Lord, the great King, the great God above all gods. Father, help us to be buoyed by both this word of promise and this word of warning. Because we know our Savior is faithful and true to his word, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.